You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Good morning, Gospel Light Church. It is great to see you. And uh, Pastor Capace, thank you for the privilege of being back. And Scott, thank you, brother, for the invitation also to be back and a part of your great church. And let me congratulate your pastor because I know this year he has celebrated 30 years of serving in this location. What a great legacy. And I know you have been celebrating that already, but uh, what a wonderful, wonderful legacy that you have, and may God give you many more years of great service. Hey, church, I'd say he's a keeper at this point. 30 years, right? So I congratulate you, Pastor. What a wonderful, wonderful uh, milestone that you have reached. Well, I want you to turn with me today in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 here in just a moment of a very familiar story to everyone who grew up in church. If you were like me, and you were coming to church nine months before you were born, and then when you were a child, you were in Sunday school, you know this story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he climbed up into the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know the story. But do you know the back story? And do you know the rest of the story? Because today I want to do an exposition and application of these verses. And I want us not only to be reminded of the story we think we know, but the backstory and the rest of the story. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. If I were a travel agent who lived in Israel during the days of Jesus, and if you were to come to me and say, I'm looking 
for a great vacation spot to take my family this year, I would immediately, without hesitation, place into your hands the Jericho brochure. Jericho, the beautiful green oasis situated in the midst of a brown and barren desert. Coming south from Galilee, the road comes to Jericho, and then you turn from Jericho to the right, and you go southwest up 17 miles of hills to Jerusalem. Last stop on the road to Jerusalem is beautiful Jericho. It was called the City of Palms. When you approach the city, you see the stately palms even from a distance. As you draw near, you see the beautiful citrus groves on the left. Over here to the right, you see the beautiful rose gardens. Jericho Valley was the one place where there was a particular shrub that grew only in that area. And from the berries of that shrub, some of the most precious ointment came that was used to make perfume. Women came from all over the world in order to purchase perfume that was made there in Jericho. Jericho is a remarkable city. We're told by scientists that it is the lowest city on planet earth, 800 feet below sea level. New Orleans is eight feet below sea level. Jericho, 800 feet below sea level. Jericho is also the oldest continuously inhabited city on the planet. Can you believe that? It is an amazing, remarkable city with an amazing history. In 36 B.C., Mark Antony was controller and essentially owner of Jericho. He surprised his girlfriend, Cleopatra, one day when he said, Honey, I've got a gift for you. Close your eyes. Jericho is yours. Can you imagine next Saturday when my wife and I, Kate and I, celebrate our anniversary? And if I say to her, honey, today for our anniversary, I'm giving you Palm Springs. Can you imagine? What a wonderful, remarkable place is Jericho. King Herod built a winter palace there. It was a magnificent three large buildings up on a hill outside and overlooking the beauty of the springs of Jericho. And all of the tropics of all the beautiful flora and fauna of the area. And he built it in such a way that it included four baths. He had a cold bath. He had a warm bath. He also had a hot bath. And then they had baths with running water. It was an incredible place. People, Romans would come. The aristocracy from Rome would come in the wintertime to vacation in beautiful Jericho. Jericho also has a marvelous biblical history, doesn't it? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. It was at Jericho that Elisha, the prophet, sprinkled salt into the bitter water. And God performed a miracle and turned the bitter water sweet. Behind the city of Jericho the beautiful lofty crag of a mountain called the Mount of Temptation, where just three years earlier, Jesus, at the beginning of his public ministry, was led by the Holy Spirit onto that mountain and for 40 days and 40 nights tempted by Satan. Jericho, last stop on the road to Jerusalem. 
You come to Jericho, you turn southwest, 17 more miles uphill, and you arrive in Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples are traveling for the last time from Galilee south. They're coming down the Jordan Valley. They are now entering Jericho. In just a few days, Jesus will enter Jerusalem where he will make his triumphal entry. And then after that, one week later, he will die on the cross for the sins of the world. But on this day, as he is coming through Jericho, Luke tells us that there was a man who lived in Jericho by the name of Zacchaeus. Luke tells us three things about Zacchaeus. Number one, he was a chief tax collector. Now, don't let that go by too quickly. He was not just a tax collector. He was not just an ordinary employee of the IRS. No, he was a chief tax collector. You see, Zacchaeus sat atop a pyramid scheme called tax collecting. The Romans farmed out tax collecting in all of their empire to men who were called chief tax collectors who then farmed that ugly business out to underlings and Rome permitted the chief tax collector not only to collect the required per capita tax from everybody including the impoverished Jews but also he, the Rome, Roman government allowed the chief tax collector to skim off of the top to, to bilk the people out of more money than was actually owed in order to line his own pockets. Taxes were collected in three places in Jesus' day. They were collected in Jerusalem, Capernaum, and Jericho. And here's old Zach. And he sits atop one of the big three. He is the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. And because of that, he is rich. And because of that, he's hated and despised by everyone. Tax collectors were among the most unscrupulous, unprincipled, ruthless, piece of scum kind of people on the planet. And because of that, everybody hated them. Everybody hated a tax collector. The Jewish Mishnah, the commentary on the Old Testament, the rabbis taught the people that it is okay for you to lie to a tax collector to protect your own property. You can break one of the Ten Commandments in order to lie to a tax collector to protect your own property. Jews looked upon tax collectors as lower than robbers and even murderers. The Jewish rabbis preached and taught in the synagogues that tax collectors could not go to heaven because they are traitors to the Jewish people, and therefore when they die, they are going to hell. That's where a tax collector goes. And so here's old Zacchaeus, and he's hated by everyone. He's a traitor. He's the kind of person who steals food from the mouths of children. He is the kind of guy who is a Razorback sitting in bleachers with other Razorbacks and rooting for the LSU Tigers. He is a traitor. Everybody despises him. Everybody hates him. He's the most hated man in town. Nobody ever named their child after Zacchaeus. He never got any invitation to go to anybody's birthday party. He was never invited to anyone's wedding. No one spoke to him as they walked down the street. In fact, they would go to the opposite side in order to avoid Zacchaeus the thief 
Zacchaeus the cheat, Zacchaeus the chief tax collector. If there were a radio station in Jericho during Jesus' day, I can imagine the disc jockey on KJER would occasionally play a song to, to Zach. Hey, Zach, this song's for you, Randy Newman's short people. Because, you see, Zacchaeus, we are told, was also not only a chief tax collector, not only was he rich, but he was short. Short. I can imagine, can't you? Hey, Zach, this one's for you. Randy Newman, short people. Do you all remember that song? The younger folks, you guys may not remember it, but those of you who are 40 and older, 50 and older, you'll remember that. 40 years ago, short people got no reason to live. They got little hands and little eyes, and they go around telling great big lies. They got tiny little noses and tiny little teeth, and they wear platform shoes on their nasty little feet. No, I don't want no short people around here. Zach, that one's for you, buddy. Have a good day. I can imagine, can't you? If I were casting for Zacchaeus the movie, you know who I would cast? Danny DeVito. A little sawed-off, slimy, social scoundrel with a big bank account and an Armani suit. That's who Zacchaeus was. Hated by everybody. He was a man who was lost in his sin. And so on this day, Luke says, Jesus came to town. Last stop on the road to Jerusalem is Jericho. And entering Jericho is Jesus. And it's the biggest day in Jericho's history. Everybody's heard about Jesus. They've heard about his miracles. They've heard about his teaching. And so everybody is clamoring to get into the town square in order to see Jesus. I mean everybody. It's like the Pope and Princess Diana and Elvis and everybody else has come. And everybody in town wants to be there to get a glimpse. And so here they come. There are babies in mother's arms and gray beards on crutches. And everybody age in between 10 feet deep. Pushing, pulling, shoving, jostling, trying to get a place there in order to see Jesus when he passes by. And old Zacchaeus is curious as well. And so he wants to see Jesus. But he couldn't, Luke tells us, because he was a short man. Now, I did a little study. I did a little research on the average height of Jewish males in the first century in Israel. And you know what I found out? The average height of a Jewish male in Jesus' day was five feet, six inches tall. Now, take a good look at me. I'm five feet, six inches tall. In American culture, as a man, I'm short. A lot of the men, most of the men in this room would be taller than I am because five feet, six is a a little bit lower than the average height in America today. Now, keep in mind, if the average height of a Jewish male in Zacchaeus' day was five foot six, and the Bible goes out of its way, to tell us that old Zach was a short man, he must have been considerably shorter than I am. And so here he is, and he can't get in through the crowd in order to see Jesus. But being the evil entrepreneur that he is, 
He knows that down the road where Jesus is going to have to pass in a moment is the sycamore tree, a ficus sycamorus. The sycamore tree grows to about 40 feet in height. It has a large round trunk, and the limbs of the sycamore tree grow out fairly parallel to the ground. It's one of the easiest trees to climb. And so old Zach runs ahead of the crowd. Can you see him? And he comes to that tree, and like a monkey he, with alacrity, he scampers up that tree, and he finds himself a perch on a limb, and there he is, perfect position to see Jesus when he passes by. I mean, man, he's on the 50-yard line. I mean, he is in a box seat right behind home plate. He's got the best seat in town. And as Jesus passes by suddenly, Luke says that Jesus stops looks up at Zacchaeus in that tree and calls his name. Zacchaeus, you come down because today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus could not have been more shocked if the tree itself had called out his name. Why, he cannot believe it. Here's Jesus. He's never met Jesus. How in the world does this man know who I am, much less know my name? And not only that, he's inviting himself to come and stay in my house. Zacchaeus was shocked that Jesus knew his name and called his name. Did you hear what Pastor Capace read a moment ago from Mark's Gospel? How that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That is absolutely true. But I want to tell you something. When Jesus sees crowds, he doesn't see the crowd. You see, Jesus is blind to crowds. He only sees individuals in the crowd. He doesn't see the crowd. He sees John and Susan and Bill and Mary and Philip, and Nancy. He doesn't see the crowds. He sees the individuals and knows them by name. You know, sometimes we as Christians are tempted to think God is so busy running His universe that He doesn't really know what's happening with me. He's not really that concerned with me. My little problems, my big problems to me are little problems to Him. He's trying to take care of a world and a universe. He doesn't really know me. He doesn't really care about me. Oh, but how wrong you are. Jesus knows you by name. He doesn't look at this congregation today and see the crowd as a congregation. No, He looks at this congregation and He sees every one of you individually and He knows your name and knows all about you and He loves you just like He loved Zacchaeus. And you know, it's interesting to me too that Jesus would call Zacchaeus by name and enter into relationship with him, and ultimately Zacchaeus becomes a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Zacchaeus is the last man in Jericho that anybody else would have ever thought would have been saved. He's the meanest man in town. He's the crook in town. He's like the drug dealer in town. He's the, he's the pimp in town. He's the last person that anybody ever thought would come to church and get saved. And yet Zacchaeus is the one who Jesus called. Because, you see, he comes for everybody. Jesus loves everybody. 
It doesn't matter how far into sin you are, how bad you are. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. He has come, as we see, to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus is one of those lost. And Jesus is on mission because the entire heartbeat of God in Jesus is a lost world. And that's what Christianity is all about. That's what the Bible is all about. And that's the purpose of churches is to be on mission with Jesus for all of the lost out there. That's the point. That's who we are. That's who we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be on mission with Jesus. And did you see something else interesting? Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you come down today. I must stay at your house. Is there anything about that that strikes you as odd? What if I came today and said, you know what? Y'all have been so kind to me, and I love Hot Springs. What a beautiful place it is. And uh, so... Pastor Capace, I'm going to stay at your house. I must stay at your house. No, that's not how we do it. It is impolite. It is not politically correct. It is not proper etiquette to invite yourself into someone else's home. Now, it's fine if they invite you into their home. That's fine. But you don't invite yourself into somebody else's home unless you're Jesus, who does just that. Zacchaeus, son, this is a divine appointment, you and me. And today, I must stay at your house. Last stop on the road to Jerusalem is Jericho. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. Well, the Bible tells us, Luke records verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly came down. Can you see him? As, mu- as quickly as he scampered up that tree to find his perch. Now, like a monkey, he scampers down with alacrity, and he comes to Jesus, and look at what Luke says. He welcomed Jesus joyfully. Here's the meanest man in town who gets saved. Here's the last person in town that anybody ever thought would listen to Jesus get saved. It's amazing. And he welcomes him joyfully. Look at that. He welcomes him joyfully. But oh, the next verse. Verse 7. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. This is how we know that most of the people who lived in Jericho in that day were Baptists. All who saw it began to complain. I can hear them, can't you? One guy nudges another guy and says, "Uh uh-huh, there you have it, see? Mm -hmm. What did I tell you? That's the way these preachers are. They preach to the poor but they dine with the rich. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the way they are. All of Jericho was astounded that Jesus, a holy man, would go and stay in the home of someone they considered the greatest sinner in town. You know why? Because they were all members of the clipboard committee. The clipboard committee. You've got some here at your church. The clipboard committee. Did you see how he's dressed? I can't believe she said that 
What are they doing here? The clipboard committee. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Nothing could have done more to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people of Jericho than for him to stay in the home of someone who was a gross sinner that the rest of the city of Jericho wouldn't touch with a ten-foot pole. And yet that's who Jesus is. He's on a mission to seek and to save the lost. Unlike so many of us who are on a mission to seek the people who are like us, but not those with a different skin color and not those from a different nation or nationality, not those with a different personality, not those necessarily on the other side of the tracks. No. Jesus comes for everybody. And the church exists for everybody. It's not the motto, us for and no more. No. Missions, you want real revival in your church? Then you better listen to the backstory and the rest of the story. They all complained he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Listen in verse 9. Today... Jesus said, salvation has come to this house, for he too is a son of Abraham. In other words, Jesus is saying, quit complaining and quit griping. But notice also what Zacchaeus says in the midst of all of their grumbling, griping, and complaining. Look at it, what he says in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord. Now, don't let that pass by quickly. He stands there. All the people are griping and complaining. But Zacchaeus stood there and says to the Lord, Lord, notice he calls him Lord, look, I'll give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Can you believe it? I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I will give back four times as much. You see, Zacchaeus realized That he hasn't done enough good and he's done way too much bad and he needs to rectify both. And now that he's been saved, now that Jesus is in his heart, now that his life has been saved, his name is written in heaven, he has eternal life. Notice how salvation brings a change in attitude and actions and life. And so now what does he say? He says, Lord, I'm going to give half. Now, I want you to look at that carefully. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. If you were a Jew in Jesus' day and you gave 20% of your income to the poor, the rabbis considered you somebody. How many of you here today, you give 50% of your income to the poor? How many? Uh Uh-huh. Me neither. Zacchaeus said, Lord... I'm going to give half of my income to the poor. And not only that, he said, if I have extorted anything from anybody, and you know he had, I'm going to pay back how much? Four times as much. 
Zacchaeus was a good Jew. He knew his Old Testament said in Exodus and Leviticus, if you steal your neighbor's sheep, you have to pay back four times as much. And so in obedience to the Word of God, Zacchaeus says to Jesus, Lord, to everybody that I've stolen money, extorted money from, I'm going to give back fourfold. You talk about tax reform. That was the day tax reform came to Jericho. Can you imagine how wonderful this news is to all of the people whom Zacchaeus had defrauded and stolen money from? And then Jesus says today, verse 9, salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus is telling the complaining crowd, hey, He can be saved just like anybody else. He's a son of Abraham. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because the Jews prided themselves on being descendants of Abraham. Our father Abraham. The rest of you Gentiles, you know what the Jews called Gentiles? Dogs. And not puppies either. Dogs. Scoundrel dogs, dogs that roam in packs. The worst kind of thing that a Jew could think of in terms of the animal kingdom or a pack of dogs out there that were nothing but dangerous and deserved to be shot, killed, or whatever. That's the way all you Gentiles are. No, we Jews, we're God's chosen people. Abraham is our father. You poor Gentiles, you dogs, you're just out there. You see, a tax collector was a Jew who was then called by his own people a Gentile and viewed as a dog, and viewed as incapable of salvation. And Jesus says, hey, salvation's come to this house. He too is a son of Abraham. Ethnically, he's Jewish. He's a son of Abraham, and I've come to save the Jews, but I've also come to save everybody else, because watch it. He's a son of Abraham, and then comes the most important verse in the story. It's verse 10. So lean in. Up there in the balcony, lean in and listen close. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus doesn't call himself the son of Abraham, though he is. He's Jewish. He is a descendant of Abraham. By the way, nor does Jesus call himself here the son of David. Though he is, he is in the royal line, he's the son of David. Nor does Jesus call himself the son of Mary. In Luke chapter 1 and 2, he is called the son of Mary. But Jesus is called none of those things. In fact, his name for himself is Son of Man. Now, where does that terminology come from? Sound familiar? It comes from Daniel chapter 7. Because in the seventh chapter of Daniel, Daniel makes a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah who will save the Jews and the world and who will rule and who will reign. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And Jesus' favorite name for himself is Son of Man. Is he a son of Abraham? Yes. Is he a son of David? Yes. Is he a son of Mary? Yes. But he doesn't go by those names because if he's a son of Abraham, that's a racial limitation. 
If he's the son of David, that's a legal and royal limitation. If he's only the son of Mary, that's a family limitation. No, Jesus is the son of no nation because he's the savior of all the nations. He's the son of man who has come to seek and to save the lost. That's who Jesus is. He's the son of man. Look at his single, defined, clear, succinct mission. To seek and to save the lost. Lost, it's a dark word. Lost, it's a sharp word with a stab to it. Lost, lost, lost dog, lost ship, lost son. Lost. Probably there is no more appropriate word in all of the Bible to describe the spiritual condition of all people who are without God and without Christ, who are unsaved, than this word, lost. He's lost. It's the dark night of eternity separated from God. Lost. Headed on the road to hell. Lost. No hope. For any future to those who die without Jesus Christ. Lost. There are two kinds of lost. There is lost beyond recovery. And there is lost and found. The ship sinks to the bottom of the ocean. It's two miles down. It's lost. Your house burns to the ground. It's lost. You may build another house, but that house is lost. There is lost beyond recovery, but there is lost and found. Have you ever lost something and then found it later? Sure you have. You've lost things. I left a beautiful jacket, a new jacket, a very nice expensive jacket my wife had given me for Uh, our anniversary, I left it on a plane. And I had to call her and tell her I left it on a plane. I left my computer on a plane one time, my laptop. Never found the jacket. We didn't find the computer, though. It was lost, and then it was found. Lost and found. If you turn left four chapters in Luke's gospel, you come to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three back-to-back stories called parables about lost stuff. He talks about a lost sheep. He talks about a lost coin. And he talks about a lost son. One sheep of the hundred, 99 over here, they're safe. One's lost. What does the shepherd do? Well, I've still got 99. No, he seeks to find the lost sheep, and when he finds him, he rejoices and he brings him back. My sheep was lost, but now it is found. That woman loses one of her ten coins. Those are her life savings. What does she do? I've got nine left. No. She sweeps her house and she searches in every nook and cranny in her house until she finds the lost coin. And then she rejoices, my coin, it was lost, but now it's found. And then there was a son who went off into the far country of sin, and he was lost. But he came to himself, and he said, you know, life was a lot better at dad's house before I ran away. 
And so I'm going to come home and ask Dad, just let me be a servant in the house. But when his father saw him coming, he welcomed him with open arms. And what did he say? This my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. Lost and found. And this is the purpose of Jesus. This is the mission of Jesus. This is what Christianity is all about and what you and I should be all about. We are on mission with the same mission of our Savior who said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. It doesn't matter who the lost are. I've come to seek and to save all of the lost. No one is beyond the love of God. No one is beyond the salvation of God. Every person on this planet, if they were to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus, could be saved. Because there's an atonement for the sacrifice of the sins of all people which Jesus made on the cross. And there's a condition of salvation, faith in Christ. And if every person would believe in Jesus, they would be saved. But they won't. Not everybody will. But everyone has a right to hear that gospel. And we have a responsibility to get it to them. And that's what this missions revival is all about. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. This is our mandate. This is our mission. This is our message. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Is that on your heart? Is that who you are? Is that what your church is all about? The Son of Man, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save. We are seeking them and we're presenting them the gospel. Jesus saves them. To seek and to save the lost. Lost people don't always look lost. They don't always dress lost. Lostness is not a feeling. Most lost people have no clue they're lost. They don't think they're lost. Oh, I'm the president of the company. Well, I'm vice president over here. We've got, we're doing great. But they're lost spiritually. They're on the road to hell. They don't even know it. And it's our job to get the gospel to them, seeking them. God is seeking them. Jesus is seeking them. He was seeking Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you come down. Today, I must stay. Divine appointment. I must stay at your house. The Son of Man is seeking to save the lost. Last stop on the road to Jerusalem for Jesus is Jericho. Last stop. And he comes to save Zacchaeus and anyone else who will believe in him. He's come to seek the millionaire and the monarch. He's come to seek the prodigal and the prostitute. He has come to seek the scholar and the skeptic. All people is he seeking to save. All who are lost. Luke records... The last personal encounter Jesus has on his way to Jerusalem, the triumphal entry and his death on the cross, the last recorded personal encounter is Zacchaeus. Last stop on the road to Jerusalem. Jesus encountered Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down from that tree. And then a week later, Jesus was lifted up on a tree called the cross. Lifted up on that cross and died for the sins of all people. 
I, if I be lifted up, what did Jesus say? I, if I be lifted up, will do what? I will draw what? All men, all people to me. Your job, your mission is to get the good news to all people in every nation that you can. And you can't all go, but you can give and you can pray and many of you can go and you can support those who do go. And that's what this missions revival is all about. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Zacchaeus, you come down. Today, I must stay at your house. So what will you do about it? What will you do now in this time of response and reflection? What will you do? What decision will you make? Those of you who do not know Christ who are within the sound of my voice, those of you watching this on live stream, will you come to this Jesus who is seeking you and who offers you salvation? Would you do that today? And then if you're watching online and you do that, would you contact this church and this pastor and these people and let them know you're a new believer in Christ and let them disciple you and counsel you and learn to become a part of this fellowship those of you that are here in the balcony on the lower floor what is God saying to you what decisions do you need to make in a moment I'm going to pray and then when I pray we're going to stand and the pastor and some of the staff will be here decisions need to be made today Zacchaeus made some decisions some of us need to make decisions we don't need to be on the clipboard committee anymore some of you need to need to Turn in your resignation from the clipboard committee and you need to get on the missions committee. Let's get on the missions committee today. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every member of this church was on the missions committee of this church? Meaning that you are passionate about missions, you give toward it, you pray toward it, and you're willing to go if God leads you to be one of his missionaries. Last stop on the road to Jerusalem. Is Jericho. Holy and Heavenly Father, we come now to pray that you would take this passage of Scripture and teach us that we are the rest of the story. Oh, Lord, move among us today. Have your own way. May decisions be made now for Christ and for missions by those who need Jesus and by church members, Christians today, who recommit themselves to be on mission with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you stand and would you come? They're here for you. You may want to come kneel and pray and go back to your seat or talk to one of these, whatever the case may be. God is speaking to every one of us from His Word right now. Would you come right now?